What is up, everyone, and welcome to our first ever live stream of the 90 and 60 Plus podcast. My name is Christian. I'm joined here today with a good friend, Aldo Moreno. Aldo, before we start into our content, I just want to ask you real quick, man, how you doing? Good, good, man. It's good to be here. It's good to be in person, you know. Uh, to all you listeners out there, thanks for joining us uh, in this very special occasion. So happy to be here. How are you, man? I'm okay. great, bro. Can't be thankful enough to be here and to be in the same room as you and as a, with a good friend, Eric Arredondo, who's behind the scenes. Uh, helped us set up a lot of this stuff, so I really appreciate you, Eric. Thank you so much for all your hard work. It's been a roller coaster, man. Uh, we've had this podcast for almost two years now. First yeah. ever live stream, really growing, really, you know, this this started off as a fun project between a few friends, and now you know we're kind of taking it a little bit more serious. So I'm glad to see it. I'm glad to see us growing, and obviously with that comes our friendship. So yeah, yeah, most definitely, man. I mean, the only downside to today, you know, so couldn't be a part of it, which really sucks. Uh, so, buddy, if you're watching us out there, man, I hope you feel better soon. Um, it sucks to be sick, but we're cheering for you out there, man. Yeah, so for those of you who don't know, 1960 Plus is a soccer or football-dedicated podcast about the beautiful game. You know, we're just uh, really good friends that love talking about it day in and day out. We, used to, I think this started on a Snapchat group chat. You know, we would just have, like, 30-minute <laughs> conversations, like, oh, who do you think going to win? You know, run banter by each other. But, no, nah, it's been great, man, and look at us now, so... First ever live stream, uh, I will say, and I do kind of have to clarify, this came about because of an assignment for one of my schools, uh, one of my school classes at MSU Denver. Um, so Professor Christopher Jennings, if you're watching, this is my <laughs> final assignment. <laughs> um, got to do what you got to do, man. Yeah. Two but, uh, one stone, too. You know, we got our episode out there, and you still got your, you're still doing your assignment. So exactly. two birds and one stone. Exactly. So before we get into the football content, Aldo, let's tell everyone a little bit about our, ourselves, because I imagine this is the first time for a lot of people tuning in. So, hey man, tell me about you and your love for the beautiful game. <laughs> well, yeah, man. Uh, I mean, my name is Aldo. Uh, for people that don't know me, uh, for people that do know me and heard my voice, this is the beautiful face that comes with it. Um, but no, nah, man, I've played soccer since I was seven. Um, since then, I've been a player recently, more of as, as a coach for the last six years. So I've been doing that. Uh, it's been a fun, fun ride. Uh, still playing out now. I think I have a co-ed team back home, and I think they're probably playing right now, so they might not even be listening. But shout out to them. I love those guys. Um, and, yeah, it's good to be here, man. Nice, nice. Now, a little bit about me, y'all. Um, I've loved the game ever since I was a young little boy. Never any good at it, never. But I didn't let that take me away from the sport that I love. I wanted to pursue a career in this industry and some other aspects, um, kind of like this, you know, broadcasting, journalism, stuff like that. Um, yeah, I also play in a co-ed league, uh, so shout out to Getting Messy is the team of my name, if y'all guys are watching. Um, but yeah, I love the sport, man. I love the statistical side, the analytics, analytical side, yeah. and tactics, and that's pretty much all we talk about in this podcast, so yeah, I'm excited to have a platform for it, and yeah, I can't wait to get this started. Yeah, dude, let's get started, man. Let's get started. So, for those of you that are first turning in, tuning in, our normal tradition with the 1960 plus podcast is we start the show with what we call our biggest takeaways from the week just past. Basically, it sheds light on a topic that we don't really talk about during the podcast, but we still want to mention it. So it's kind of it in a nutshell. I'll kick it off with mine, y'all. And uh, it's going to be a little bit close to home. So for those of you that don't know, uh, although I'm pretty sure you're aware, North America is about to be the central hub for major soccer tournaments in the next four or five years, man. Yeah. Obviously, we have the 2026 World Cup coming here soon. And then just recently, uh, the Mexico and USA Women's Federations announced a joint bid for the 2025, um, or is it 2025 or 2020? 2027, I think it was. World That's Cup. right. World Cup here in the States of Mexico. That would be very exciting. Obviously, next year in 2024, we have the expanded Copa America. And then 
No, go cup, bro. <laughs> this is what happens when you lie for the first time, bro. You get nervous. <laughs> it happens, it happens. Yeah, yeah. The expanded gold cup. Basically, it's like the confederation cup being brought back. You know, we obviously have the CONCACAF nations, and then we have a few invites from uh, CONEMBOL, UEFA, CAF, and the Oceanic Asian area. And then, as I mentioned earlier, the expanded Copa America as well. So, yeah, very, very exciting news. Um, I think it's about damn time that the states gets behind this football and soccer big news and impact that it's making. I mean, we saw it with the World Cup, how it impacted a lot of viewership here, went toe-to-toe with America's franchise sport, which is American football, and it delivered. So I'm happy to see that, and I'm happy to see it be mm-hmm. a central hope for the next few years. Yeah, most definitely. And, and you know, going back to that World Cup that just happened uh, over in Qatar, um, especially here in the U.S., I saw a lot of, lot of growth for that. Like, a lot of people were watching that. You know, I've had friends that, have never really played soccer or watched soccer, and, and this World Cup changed a lot of that for them. So that's it's really been growing. It's good to see too, and and that kind of segues to my takeaway. You know, with the with the U.S. doing whatever it's doing, you know, some European clubs will, are actually going to come play over here um, for their preseason next season. One of them is actually Wrexham against United in Las Vegas. Um, so that, is it Las Vegas? I'm not sure, but either way, they're coming over to play. And that's going to be fun. But my takeaway is that Wrexham did get promoted. That's so right. That's actually really good news. Uh, that's that's something, you know, if if you're a Wrexham fan, something you've been waiting for the last 15 years, they've just been stuck outside of that bottom section of the peri- uh, football pyramid in, in English football. Uh, and they've gone through, you know, they've got champions, they're promoted, which is awesome. Um, if you all never heard about Wrexham, I would recommend watching the docu-series over on, uh, I think it's on Hulu or, or FX, Welcome to Rexham. So that right there, definitely, it'll, you know, share everything that's got to do with it. It's it's a must-watch, I got to say. But no, it's good to hear that Rexham got promoted. Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhenney are ecstatic to be there. That's They're right. doing a, such a good job, too. Absolutely, man. Yeah, I have a lot of just non-soccer football fans that I work with or friends, and they always tell me, like, oh, I'm watching the show, and it makes me want to watch soccer. Obviously, shows like that and Ted Lasso, which is very successful, yeah. have brought a lot of attention to the game. Hopefully, it's for the better, man. But yeah, congratulations, Wrexham. That's our biggest takeaways for this week. So I think now it's time we start diving into our main content. And although as we start every single week, we got to start in the Premier League. Yes, and sir. only one place to start, in my opinion, man. I think as of the time of recording right now, I think it's safe to say that Arsenal, who was in first place for such a long time, bro, they, uh, I, I, there's a lot of things you can say. You can say they slipped, they, they, they fumbled it, um, they dropped the ball. They Liverpooled it. They Liverpooled it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, basically, guys, Arsenal is no longer first in the Premier League table. They went on a run of three consistent draws, two of which was they were winning 2-0 at the very beginning. Yeah, yeah, 2-0 leads, uh, just dropping it down. But I mean, don't even talk to me about 2-0 leads right now, especially after what happened today. But yeah, man, I mean, freaking 2-0 leads, uh, one against Southampton. You know, they had the opportunity to get with that soccer penalty to get get a 3-0, ended up 3-3, dropping points there against last uh, last place in the league. So, yeah, they, they've definitely Liverpooled it for sure. Yeah, and speaking about that Southampton game, which is the most recent up until today's or yesterday's game, mm-hmm. the most recent draw, I want to talk a little bit about that. Uh, Peter Drury, you know, for me, he's a big inspiration because I want to get into color commentator. This is one guy that I idolize. And some of the quotes that came after this game were just, Amazing, you know, he called this game like it was the title deciding game of the season, which for many fans it was for many Arsenal fans Um, Here are a few quotes that he said after the final whistle blew 
uh, margin for error has vanished. The margin for error has vanished. Uh, the would-be champions, when he was referring to Arsenal, a night of hope lost and restored, despair and elation. Just beautiful, man. He's a he's a poet, but um, definitely is a poet. He summed it up, bro. And uh, yeah, Arsenal, especially after that Southampton game. I mean, they were down two 0 at one point. They brought it back to you know three three, like you said. But just what a like you said, man, last bottom of the table beating the or drawing with the first team in the table. So that's just shocking. And then, you know, that brings us to just yesterday, what happened with the events of their clash versus City. I think a lot of Arsenal fans, I guess Premier League fans in general, just were not expecting Arsenal to get a result um, at the Etihad. I think one of the fans on Arsenal Fan TV said it best. He said, if we can concede three goals to the bottom of the table, Southampton, well, how do you expect us to hold back Holland and City? Bro, and especially Holland right now, that guy's, I mean, he's a full-on cheat code, guys. Full-on cheat code. I don't know how this guy does it. But already broke the record at 33 goals with still, what, seven, six, games? six seven games left uh, uh, in the Premier League season, season. I mean, we thought Salah was great when he did it. Um, but he, he took the whole 38 games. Holland did it in way less than that. And and he's still, what, only 22, 23? Mm-hmm. So big, big future for that guy. Um, you know, the, he definitely made me eat my words at the beginning of the season. I was not expecting that from him. So, But good job out there, man. Yeah, let's talk about Erling Braut Holland for a little bit, man, because like you said, what a player. Man of the match, definitely, in my opinion, with two assists and one goal. For the longest time, we all thought he was just, you know, a purebred striker, penalty box poacher. Yeah. He's proven that he can be so much more than that, and we saw that evident in this game. I mean, nine shot-creating actions. That was the most on the pitch, more than Kevin De Bruyne, which I thought was very impressive. And at times, him and Kevin De Bruyne, they're really playing off each other. I think for one of the goals, you know, he chested it down, brought it down very beautifully off of a goal kick clearance and attracted all these defenders to him. And yeah. that let Kevin De Bruyne flee, free to go through the run and score, just yeah, pass it in the back of the net. What do we expect from KDB? But, yeah, um, going back to Holland a bit, the way he just attracts defenders and creates space for others is just magnificent. Really, really fun to watch. Um, yeah, as you mentioned, he break, broke the record for the most Premier League goals in a 38-game season. I think he still might beat Alan Shearer's record of uh, most goals in a Premier League season, period. I think so. I mean, how, how much is Alan Shearer's record? Why well, you got to ask me. <laughs> oh, I don't know, but come on. Six games left, scoring every game. I think he can do it. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's City. That's uh, Holland. Uh, let's go back to Arsenal for a little bit because I want to talk about a little bit of their run of form. Um, so obviously their title race, I think we can say, is you know, all but done and dusted. Um, I will say, though, I think it really started to go down for Hill for them in that Europa League clash against Sporting because that was the game where they lost William Saliba. He's been out ever since. Yeah. There was hopes that he would be back for this game, but I think Arteta came out and said that he's not recovering as quickly as they expected, so that is very sad to see. But, yeah, Arsenal, man, they've only won two out of their seven games since Saliba went off injured, which is huge for them. Um, and again, that was in that loss of sporting and penalties. That's including that loss to sporting and penalties. So that's three draws, two wins, uh, two of which were to relegation candidates at home. So that's nothing good. And uh, obviously, the loss to City today. And yeah, you can definitely yes, tell the difference today. between. Yeah, <laughs> you can definitely tell the difference when Saliba's back there with Gabriel versus Holding. Yeah, no, most definitely. I mean, I'm, and uh, me being a United fan right now, I can definitely relate when you're losing a key part of your defense. Um, I mean, we'll talk more about that later, but I can definitely relate. I mean, Arsenal's been prone to to other teams' attacks now uh, just because they lost that key figure in the back, uh, that key solid four that they've had. Um, they're kind of – they've lost their way, you know, and it's yeah. sad to see. 
at the especially at the last stretch of the season. So technically speaking, Arsenal still in first with 75 points, City have 73, but City do have those two games in hand and a massive goal difference. So obviously they yeah. win those two. It's an uh, easy title race for City. And honestly, I think City have the easiest run of form versus Arsenal. They play Chelsea up next. Then they go to Newcastle at the Molyneux. Um, or is that the stadium name? Molyneux. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then they got Brighton, Forest, Wolves. It's, it's not looking like a good time for Arsenal, man. So yeah, definitely challenging times are ahead for them. But I think they're doing a lot better than their opponent they're going to face next in the Premier League, which is Chelsea, which I think you and I want to talk about a little bit more. Yeah. Because they've been absolutely... You talk about Arsenal's form being atrocious. Let's talk about Chelsea's form under Frank Lampard. Man, uh, Chelsea, they suffered their fifth loss in a row under Lampard now. Third in the row in the Premier League. And in that run of five games, they've only scored one goal conceding nine. Bro, that's that's abysmal. That's what that is, you know. That's really horrific. Um, if, you know... Because I said atrocious for Arsenal just because they've been in first and they've been losing their games. But Chelsea, they've just been bad from the get-go. Um, we had high hopes for them, you know, when um, Mudra came in, you know, especially a big signing like that. Enzo Fernandez coming in as well. Joe Felix. Uh, Joe Felix. So there was definitely a, a lot of hope for them. But it just didn't happen. It just didn't happen. And, it, and it's still not happening. Frank Lampard coming back. He's not the guy. He's not the guy. And, again, I still hope for Chelsea getting relegated. I think it's still mathematically possible. It is. So I'm really hoping for it. Yeah, I think they're 10 points above the relegation zone right now. And you talk about Arsenal's run of form or run of fixtures left in the Premier League. Chelsea's is just as, if not more, challenging. So that's definitely one to look out for. But Chelsea, man, they're so bad at this point that even a player like Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, who was completely out of the starting lineup, completely out of the team under um, Tuchel, under uh, Lampard as well. He's been brought back in. And even then, bro, he's got some minutes. And honestly, he looked like the most impressive output uh, offensively for Chelsea in this game and their most recent one. Um, He had the most shots, most shots on target with four and two. But uh, yeah, he just couldn't do it for them. And then, you know, we talk about Obama Yang. I think another big detriment that Chelsea is implementing right now is the use of N'Golo Kante, who we all know is a tremendous defensive midfielder. But for some reason, uh, all these coaches have been trying to play him a little bit further up the field. Um, and he just, I don't think he has that in him, especially at this age and coming back off a horrendous injury that's kept him sidelined for most of the season. But I truly thought that coming back would turn it around for this Chelsea side, but it just hasn't done it. You know, despite putting most of the defensive and offensive, offensive output in this game with three tackles, two blocks, and uh, you're talking about offense, you know, he had six shot-creating actions as well. I mean, it seems like just nothing's clicking right now for Chelsea, which is sad. It's really sad. But again, I'm all for it. I'm happy. <laughs> yeah. Um, for those of you that don't know, we absolutely relish in teams' dismay like this because Chelsea has spent, what, $600 million since the takeover of Todd Bowley? Yeah, it's and, been pretty high up there. And, and yeah, to see them struggle the way they are, I mean, again, the, the Chelsea game against Brighton, really showed what they're lacking, really showed the disconnected mindset that they have. and Brentford. No, against Brighton. Oh, right, right. That was the weekend, my bad. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, Brighton definitely overruled them. And, and uh, again, like, it's good to see those small teams, you know, get ahead of those big teams like Chelsea. But, yeah, man, ridiculous. Spending six, six, seven hundred million and for what they are right now. Hey, we love to see it. We love to see teams that spend because you can't you can't buy trophies in football, guys, and this proves it. So, I think the less said about that, the better. But um, yeah, let's go from one London team to another. Um, Spurs. Uh, you and I just kind of witnessed their most recent game today. 
But before that, man, I mean, I think their form was just going from bad to worse. Um, over the weekend, they obviously had a horrendous, or excuse me, horrendous showing against Newcastle at yeah. the Molineux. 6-1, man. What did you make of that game? Oh, man. I mean, we all said it last time in the pick We all thought Newcastle was going to win, but not by this much and not the way they did. Uh, by the way, Willick, what an assist, guys. What an assist. Freaking outside the boot. I think he got it like just before the halfway line too uh, and got it to Isak, but what a goal that was. And and what a good showing. You know, it just goes to show how much Newcastle has improved as well since they got their, their new owners. Um, and it's just been... Money spent the right way. Yeah, money spent the right way. That's exactly what I was going to say. You know, proper management, proper... Uh, budgeting and everything and and Newcastle should be a team to watch uh for the next couple of seasons absolutely man just to touch a little bit more on that Spurs game bro they were up five no in the first 21 minutes of the game that's just how many Spurs fans were heading for the exit door at that point man but uh, it was so bad at one point that Ugo Lloris was subbed off at halftime for Forrester after conceding five goals obviously I mean Forrester yeah. only conceded one more but I mean I think the real problem for Spurs in this game was the system change um they went from we all know Spurs have played 3-5-2, majority of the season under Conte. He's not there anymore. In comes Stellini, and I guess he's gone now yeah. after this 6-1 loss. But he reverted to a 4-3-3 for some reason, which I think did not suit Spurs at all attacking-wise. When you have such attacking fullbox like Ivan Perisic on the left and Pedro Porra on the right, it just did not work out for them. So I think that was really the problem that Spurs had in this game. Uh, Eric Dyer and Romero, they're probably better in a back three, honestly, as well. Dyer especially, what a horrible showing he had. I mean, yeah. The fans made their... Opinions very loud and clear, booing him. But, yeah, that was 6-1 over the weekend. And you fast forward to today, where somehow, miraculously, they came back from a 2-0 deficit to tie with Man United. Dude, I swear, that game really, really pissed me off. I mean, United was up and going. You know, first six minutes, Sancho got the goal, which, again, is good to see. It's good to see why Ten Hag um, still backs him. Uh, he still got it, and, he, and he's getting better for sure. But, yeah, first six minutes in, you know, first goal, United was dominant the whole first half. They eventually got the second goal at the end, at the end of the first half when you, with Rashford coming in. Um, but things, I don't know if it's fatigue. It might be fatigue because, you know, keep in mind in the FA Cup, they did go a whole 120 minutes uh, with Brighton. And Brighton, like we've talked about, we've praised them all, all season with how they're playing and how they've uh, been attacking um, and how they've been mo moving the ball forward. So in that game, United was all defensive. You know, it, it was a lot of hard work. So I can maybe blame some fatigue about that because they started really well, but then they diminished. But I don't know. I think they thought 80%, 90% was enough to win the game. And, and obviously Tottenham took advantage of that and came back 2-0. They could have easily won the game too. Oh, yeah. Because I think Dyer was one of the guys. He had like a free header. I missed it wide. Um, Humane Sun. Harry Kane played in a beautiful ball. It was almost like the second goal they got to draw up the game, but yeah. at this occasion, Sun just didn't put it in the back of the net. But yeah, yeah, I feel like the second half was just all Spurs, and they could have won it then. The first half was all United. They could have won it then. And yeah, it was definitely a tell of two halves. Yeah, that's for sure. But yeah, now because of that, we are where we are in the Premier League table, and both of these teams are, I don't know, more so uh, Spurs, but United definitely are fighting for that top four race, which is very, very yeah. close. It is. I mean, that top four race right now, I mean... Obviously, Arsenal still up top with 75, like you said, 33 matches played. The next City with 73, 31 matches played. Newcastle right now is at 62 with 32 matches played. And then United at 60 points with 31 matches played. So they do have a game in hand over Newcastle, um, but it's a tight, tight spot over uh, in the top four. 
And, you know, in the other spots too, you know, five, six, and seven, they're not that far behind either. You know, it's, it's, it's within a range of five to six points. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and anything can happen, as we know, in the Prem, especially in the last six, seven games. Yeah, that's right. Teams like Villa, Liverpool, who have not had the best season as well. Brighton, Brentford, they're all contending for those yeah. top four finishes. Not even top four, but, you know, you know, you get fifth and sixth, you play Europa League, you play Conference League. So definitely some European football up for grabs, which is exciting. Yeah, yeah. And especially for Villa, I mean, because Aston Villa, you know, they're, they're definitely an, an old, prestigious club. And I don't think they've played Europe in such a long time. And they're really close to it. Again, if Saul was here, he would be giving praise to <laughs> Unai Emery. So shout out to them again, you know. But but yeah, man, hopefully they get a European spot. Yeah, Obvi- nice obviously, not anywhere in the top four. <laughs> but Conference or Europa League, I do want to see them do that. Not just the race for the top four at the top, but if you go to the bottom of the table, it's also really, really close. I think now more teams are starting to thin out. You're really starting to see who might get relegated because... I mean, obviously, at the very beginning of the season, I said Leicester will get relegated, and look where they are right now in 18th place, and Bro, we a lot of people did not we agree with me. <laughs> I, sw- I thought you were on shrooms or something. I thought you were off. But, yeah, I mean, right now the bottom three, it's Leicester, Everton, and Southampton. Um, but just on top of it, it's West Ham, uh, Leeds, and Nottingham. Again, within a range of six points, you know. I think out of all of them, except for West Ham, they all have 33 matches played. West Ham has a match in hand, but everything's going to... I think this is going to come down, obviously, to the last game of the season because mathematically, Southampton do have a chance to survive. That's right. And uh, a big thing with relegation, uh, depending on which teams go down, is which players will stay in the Premier League because, obviously, some players are too good for the championship and other Premier League teams pick them up. So that's definitely going to be one to look out for. But that's enough of the Premier League, man. Um, I think over the weekend there was another English Cup competition that we want to talk about a little bit because we got a pretty big final coming up. Yeah, it's the Manchester Derby. I mean, first time ever for the FA Cup. You know, it's a, the Manchester Derby final. It's actually going to be on June 3rd this uh, this year. Uh, and I can't wait for it, you know. Uh, being quite honest, City with the run and form they're in with what they're trying to accomplish at the Champions League, they, they're, you know, they have high possibilities of getting the trouble. Uh, you know, Premier League, FA Cup, Champions League. They're still in those three competitions, uh, already in the final of one of them. And can they repeat the, uh, you know, the feed and that was done by United in 99? Maybe. Um, but I don't want them to. I know many people don't want them to. So, <laughs> so and, and, and it's all a little bit like destiny, you know. It's, it's United in the way of City of stopping that from happening. So it's a little bit from destiny there. But... Is the treble is definitely not going to be on for City. I will say that. I'm saying it right now. Right now, folks. Yeah, United, they definitely had a tougher time in their game versus Brighton. Like you said, it took them all the way to penalties, plus under 20 minutes. But, yeah, nevertheless, I think this uh, FA Cup final will be really exciting just for the casual viewer because United's picking up form at just the right moment. Um, maybe they can have a lot to contend for at the end of the season if they end up out of the top four. So maybe they could, this can be their only chance of, you know, somewhat of a consolation prize. So, Definitely one to look out for there. But um, that's pretty much all our chat in England. Uh, I guess we can move on and look Real ahead. Real quick, just to, set up, just to set up the derby a little bit more. Yeah. In the last five meetings between United and City, um, City has won three. And then United has won two. So this is going to be a really good one because this is the one to play for, for all the, all the United uh, players, all the United fans. It's, it's not only just a game. It's not only just a final. It's a sense of pride for them. So it's going to be a really good game. I do recommend it to watch. 
Nice. Beautifully said, man. So, yeah, before we step off of England, I think we should look ahead to this upcoming weekend or this upcoming match day fixtures um, to a segment that we always do here on 1960 Plus called the Premier League Pick'em. Although for new listeners or people just tuning in, you want to explain to them what this segment actually is? Yeah, so the Pick'em is a little predictor game, you know, on the NBC Sports Predictor app. Um, I think right now they're still doing six games right? That's right. Six games. So it's six games a week. Um, you get to predict the scores uh, out of all those six. If you pre- if you get a perfect sp- score and predict them all right, I think you you either win or share the jackpot of 10,000 bucks. It used to be 50,000, but inflation, man. <laughs> inflation. And I think a, a, like a couple people won it in a row uh, where, where they're like, okay, we got to like kind of start from the bottom again. Yeah, but it's a fun little, you know, app to play at home with your friends. You can create your own league. We're not endorsed at all. We should probably say that right off the bat. They're not paying yeah. us to say this. We just have been playing it for years. And yeah, we brought it to the podcast. A lot of fun. So let's just get started with Matt, with it, man. Um, so the way the point system works, I think, did you already explain this? Um, if you... Oh, no. So, so for every uh, match that you predict, if you get a perfect score, that's 10 points. Um, if you get the right result, so like... Uh, a draw. A win. Yeah, like if you predict the draw or win or whatever, you get four points. Uh, and then if you get get it completely wrong, you get no points. Yep. And just to give everyone at home a little inside scoop about our personal league, uh, Seoul is currently in first place with 378 points. I got 334, although you got some catching up to do with 248. <laughs> yeah, bro, I am way behind. So, I mean, what is it, like 100-something points that I'm behind? Oh, yeah, and you can easily catch up in, you know, one match week if you get... <laughs> if I get all of them right. <laughs> so all I'll right. catch up to you and then get, get the whole 10K. Yeah. All right. So let's, uh, let's just dive right into it. So first game on here, although it's Brighton versus Wolves, um, I think this team is two team or this game is two teams that are completely in different ends of the table. So I'm going to say Brighton. I'm going to say 2-1. That's a good shout. I mean, Wolves have been doing better uh, since uh, their new, is it interim manager or it's their new manager? I think it's their new one, yeah. Their new manager. I don't know his name, but they've been doing a little bit better. They've been picking up some results. But, I mean, I, I'm still going to give it to Brighton. I think it's going to be a little bit tighter than that. I think it's going to be 1-0, actually. Next one, Arsenal-Chelsea. We talk about Arsenal's tough run of forms and fixtures. I think this is the easiest one of the lot. <laughs> I think they're going to finally bounce back and get some momentum because, obviously, Chelsea, they've just been atrocious. So I'm going to say Arsenal get, uh, you know, I'm going to say a narrow 1-0 one. I don't think so, dude. I think they're going to drop the ball even more, Arsenal. Oh. Uh, I'm not going to say Chelsea's going to win because, let's be honest, they're they're not playing that well to win, especially against an Arsenal team. But I do think it's going to end up in a draw, and I think it's going to be a, a boring nil-nil draw. And then after that, we got Fulham versus City. And I want to say so bad that Fulham beat City and they dropped points and opened up the door for Arsenal, but that's yeah. not going to happen. I think City's going to beat Fulham 4-0. <laughs> yeah, I think so too. City's been in such a good form, and they did destroy the would-be champions or whatever you want to call them, but 4-1 and quite convincingly. So so I'm going to give this, I might say 5-0 to City. I can see that happening. Then we go to your team, United versus Villa. This is going to be a real good game, man. Villa, as we just mentioned, on tremendous four under Unai Emery. Um, But United is at home, so I think they have the slight advantage. I'm going to say they barely edge it out 2-1. 2-1. That's a good shout. That's a good shout. But like you said, United's at home, Old Trafford. It's... Getting to what it used to be under Ten Hag, I mean, we've had a lot of clean sheets at home. That's why De Gea is the top clean sheet keeper because all of them have been at home. Um, sure, we did lose Varane and Lisandro, 
and I really hope Maguire doesn't start. I really do. Uh, I want to keep Lindelof and Shaw there. But I think a clean sheet's going to suffice. I think we're going to get 2-0 two, two up in here. Next one really quick. I think Newcastle beat Southampton 3-0. 3-0. I mean, that's what we thought about Arsenal-Southampton, you know. But Newcastle, again, more convincing. Uh, they still have their core group of players. So, yeah, I think I'm going to say 2-0, actually. And then the last one, really two teams that have had mediocre seasons, up and down, a lot of roller coaster rides, Liverpool and Spurs. I think it's going to be exactly what the game in United and Spurs was today. It's going to be 2-2. 2-2, you think so? No, I think uh, Liverpool are going to edge it at 3-2. I nice. think uh, Tottenham's going to get some confidence from the game today, uh, but Liverpool's at home at the Anfield. We all know how Anfield is tough for many teams. Um, 3-2 for me. Nice. So that's the end of the Premier League pick If you guys are playing along at home, make sure you submit your picks. But now, usually after we get off you know, England shores, we tend to go over to one of the other top five leagues. Uh, and we tend to go to one that's been a little bit more competitive this season than you know, a lot of us would have predicted. Yeah. And that is the Bundesliga, my friend. Although, uh, this past weekend, man, what a weekend it was. Because we saw, for the first time since, I think, the Classicer, we saw a little bit of hope for Borussia Dortmund as they jumped Bayern Munich in the table to go first place. That was after an emphatic win to Frankfurt, who's no slouch, obviously. Yeah. And that's obviously because Bayern, they were also upset by Mainz. Yeah, no, dude, Bundesliga has been, uh, I mean, every week, it's it, there's no clear-cut leader at this point now. Um, it's just been going up and down, up and down, especially for Bayern and Dortmund. Uh, I would have never thought they would have lost to Mainz, but that just goes to show kind of what's that whole transition period with, with Bayern and the little, little inter-squad difficulties that they're having, like with Sané versus Mane. By the way, that was on pay-per-view. Watch there. <laughs> Front row seats. But, yeah, man, it's going to be good. I mean, to, to talk about Dortmund a little bit, um, they did beat Fra- Frankfurt. And star player Colomani, who has, what, 13 goals? 13 ten, goals, 10 assists. 10 assists in season. the league, only 17 and 12 in all competitions. Dude, that's great. Uh, that's fantastic, especially for him. I mean, how old is he? He's the one that w- that's been questioned about his age, right? No, 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 no. That's that's Stormman striker Makoko. Uh, there we go. Well, <clears throat> my mistake there. But yeah, that's still seventeen and twelve. Uh, and you know, he got what he was very quiet the first time, the first half. Yeah, I think he's Frankfurt's main attacking output, and Dortmund really limited him to you know I think one shot on target, twenty six touches. He had a fifty six percent pass accuracy. So, I think when you shut down uh, Kolomani, you just shut down the entire Frankfurt attack, and that's exactly what Dortmund did. And they capitalized on it, you know. Daniel Malin, who a lot of people were calling a flop mm-hmm. from his move to, from PSV last season and even at the beginning yeah. of this season, in my opinion, man of the match. I mean, two goals, four shots, on tar- four shots, three of which were on target, and five out of eight successful takes-ons. Um, that's seven league goals now, but th- what's really impressive about that is six of those goals have been in his last six Bundesliga games. <laughs> so he's been really picking up form at the tail end of the season. Yeah. He's averaging 2.96 shots per game, uh, 1.61 on target. And he's, he has overperformed his XG a little bit, uh, almost by two, but... I mean, he's coming to life and coming to form right when Dortmund need him. Yeah, you know, and especially uh, for all these leagues, last stretch of the season, these goals are where they're ma- they matter the most, you know, because they can easily save you from relegation. They can easily win the championship for you, or they can just get you to that, you know, goal that you had of maybe playing in the uh, Europe next season. So, yeah, at the end of the season, these goals definitely matter most, and Malin's definitely picking up that form now, Yeah, which then- is great for Dortmund. Let's touch on their rivals, at least in the Bundesliga table. Bayern, we mentioned earlier, upset by Mainz. 
I mean, no one really expected this, but Bayern, they've been a completely different team ever since Thomas Tuchel came in. Yes, he won his first game, which was that crucial de Classiker that, you know, gave him that little bit of cushion at the top of the table. But since then, knocked out of the DFB Pokal, knocked out of the Champions League, second in the Bundesliga now. What's gone wrong? I mean, I wouldn't say it's Tuchel's fault, but he does have a big part to play. Uh, same thing when Tuchel came in, Mane versus Sané happened. Um, but I think we're starting to see the end of an era at Bayern because they've been so dominant in the Bundes for such a long time. I think it's, what, 10 years. Um, and, and we had this conversation last episode, too, if, if we should start considering Bundesliga a farmer's league now. But uh, still not yet, you know, because there's still up um, – there's still opportunities that are just not being taken. But I really don't think Tuchel's the guy for Bayern. Yeah. Uh, he he's not playing he's not he doesn't throw that sense of confidence or of what a Bayern team should be. So Yeah, and Tuchel famously has played a back three for most of his managerial career. And I don't think that suits Bayern well at all, especially not in this game. I mean, they fielded Stankasic or I have no idea how you pronounce his name, but um, they fielded him, Upamakano, and Delict in a back three. Um, Upamakano and Stan Sitch, they had zero tackles between them and one interception. And then with Delict, they had four blocks between all three of them. I mean, just horrendous defending. And obviously, you know, the midfield has not been up to par. I feel like Kimmich and Goretzka aren't the same players as they were in previous seasons. Yeah, and obviously, there's no focal point up top. I mean, Eric Chibomotin, great striker, but... He's not Bayern quality or Champions League Bayern quality, in my opinion. No, definitely not. I mean, I still remember when he was at PSG and he missed that sitter where he... Right on the goal line? Well, right <laughs> in the goal line. He acted like a defender, so... Oh, man. Um, but he he did have a good stretch. Let's be honest. He did have a good stretch um, for Bayern. I think it was right before the World Cup. But since then, it, it just hasn't been working out for him there. Yeah. So, I mean, that's pretty much all to talk about in the Bundesliga. I mean, we can look ahead to this upcoming weekend because obviously that title race is heating up and we can look ahead to Dortmund and Bayern specifically. Dortmund, they go to Wade to Bochum. Um, I'm pretty sure that's pretty much, uh, you know, we say a walk in the park, but obviously the Bundesliga has proven to be anything. But meanwhile, Bayern Munich, they go to Hertha Berlin. <laughs> so that'll be actually a really interesting game. And yeah. maybe we can see them drop more points. But that's the, Bund so. that's the Bundesliga. Um, you want to go over to Serie A now, specifically one particular city where two famous clubs come from? <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, over at... Um, are you talking about Milan or just... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just wanted to make sure, bro. Uh, but yeah, over at Milan, you know, we do have... Um, I mean, for AC Milan, looks like Rafael Leao has been really carrying Milan on, on his back. You know, he's been... Uh, tremendous run of form as well. And same thing at the, at the last stretch of the season. Uh, I'm not sure what his goal tally is or assist tally is right now, but I, I think it is 10-plus already. And he's came in clutch for AC Milan. Um, over at the other side, you know, you have Inter and Lukaku. They're starting to pick up a little bit a little bit more form um, right before their UCL clash. So that's always good to see. But let's be honest. I, th I think out of the two, Milan's just been a bit more consistent um i mean napoli before their good run of form um before benfica that benfica tie they've just been drawing and losing against opposition that's really questionable you know in in, in those middle table uh sections i mean they couldn't get a second goal against uh Ochoa's team <laughs> oh yeah i forgot <laughs> about that yeah Ochoa they, stood on his head yeah, dude, they, they got one goal, and then they couldn't get a second one after that. I mean, that that's a team that you should be 
pretty much winning like five nil. They could have easily won at ten nil. Yeah, I mean that run of form you mentioned, dude. It's been horrendous ever since that uh, Champions League classic against Porto. They lost to Juventus, lost to Fiorentina, uh, drew with Juve in the Coppa Italia, drew with Salernitana, and then obviously they bounced back and they beat Benfica. But then after that, they lost to Monza. Obviously, drew with Benfica again, and now they're on this yeah. tremendous run of form somehow. So, I mean, I think they're picking up momentum at just the right time, especially Lukaku, like you mentioned, because he's been scoring, gifted a lot of been penalties recently. Yeah. But he's picking up form and crucial penalties, crucial goals when Inter need it. So, I mean, there's that, and that's all is culminating to that Der- Milan Derby in the uh, Champions League semifinal, which we'll get on a little bit later. But yeah, I mean, they're definitely picking up results in both the league and the Champions League. So it's good to see for clubs in Milan. Yeah, most definitely. But uh, on another team, you know, Napoli's still up top in City A. I think they're up by, what, 14 points still? Something ridiculous like, Something that. like that. So At this point, I stopped, I stopped counting, man. Yeah. So. I mean, if and it's a big contrast to what it was last season because last season there was a lot of forces in that race and, and it, it went down to the last, last game of the season. Uh, this time, Napoli kind of... They shot off the park and, and they've been holding out. They've been consistent, mm-hmm. uh, doing what Arsenal should have been doing. <laughs> but I mean, there's still there's what there's a there's less games in Serie A, so I think there's only like five more. Yeah, or, I think so. Or but something like that. I mean, then let's talk about their opponent a little bit because obviously they beat Juventus this past weekend. They but did. Yeah. That was after Juventus. If you guys aren't following, basically they got a 15 point deduction. Um, at early in the season. That was 25. My bad. <laughs> It got rescinded temporarily. You know, it can still. There's, it's all this talk about it can be brought back. It can. They can even be relegated, deducted more points. It's this huge controversy. But as of right now, all we know is that 15 point deduction was rescinded, and they jumped from seventh to third. And obviously, you know, there's a good feeling around Juventus and Turin right now, especially after they advanced to the semifinals of the Europa League. But <clears throat> excuse me, uh, that was not enough to beat Napoli. I guess um, Napoli just showed up. Honestly, it was a gritty win. Uh, Raspadori at the death in the 93rd minute, he won it for Napoli. Yeah. But yeah, that's, to me, it's just Napoli inching closer and closer to that Scudetto that they haven't won in 10 plus years. Yeah, it's definitely been a long wait for them as well. Um, but that's that's why Serie A is where, in, what, in the fourth best league right now? After La Liga or whatever? Because it's pretty unpredictable after some time as well. I mean, Juventus was so dominant for some time, but then after that, I mean, the last couple of years, it's been three different champions with AC Milan, Inter, and then now it's looking to be like Napoli. Yeah, so which is great to see. We love to see parity, right? Yeah, most definitely. Um, Inter especially, you know, they I think they're on to the Coppa Italia final today. Um, Fiorentina uh, yeah, advanced yeah. today against Cremonense, so they have another trophy to contend for. But yeah, if we look forward to next week or this upcoming weekend, uh, Napoli, they play Salinantana. Chucky versus Ochoa. That'll be a matchup that most Mexican viewers will want to see. Enter, they play Lazio, who are currently in second place, and Loki having a very underrated season, in my opinion, so I'm excited to see that. Don't sleep on um, excuse me, Lazio. And then Juventus, they go away to Bologna, which theoretically they should be, but given their recent run of forms, who knows? And AC Milan, they play Roma, which is arguably the game of the week for me. Yeah. Honestly, uh, Roma's been doing really, really well. Um, I was just having a, a conversation with, with someone the other day how... Mourinho, like, if Roma were to win the Europa League, I could see Mourinho taking Roma next season to potentially win the Champions League and just completing that trifecta, which I think you talked about, too, <laughs> not so long ago. <laughs> yeah. Uh, of the conference. Uh, the Europa, Europa League, the Champions League. League. Only yeah. he did in reverse. He won the Champions League first, then the Europa, and now he's yeah. going to win the conference. <laughs> yeah, but if he stays with Roma this whole time, yeah, I mean, 
with one team, all three, that that's actually would be amazing. That but would be. That would be an episode for what if. All right, so let's go to a league that we don't really want to spend a lot of time on this week because it is pretty much all but sewn up at this point. That's the league on. You and I often, we refer to it as the Farmer's League because oh, yeah. literally it's just a one-horse race. And even then, even when PSG is having the absolute worst season of their entire um, league odd tenure, they, other teams can't capitalize, other teams can't Ooh. take advantage of it, and they somehow always win the league. There's been a couple parodies. There's been a few exceptions like um, Lille recently and Monaco, but... I mean, just this year especially, it seems like PSG have it all sewn up with the firepower of Mbappe and Messi. But, yeah, at this point, honestly, I think who really cares about Ligue 1 or pays attention to it? Honestly, I think we all know PSG's season solely relies on the Champions League, and once they're knocked out, it's really pretty much irrelevant for them. Yeah, it, it pretty much is, and and they got knocked out in pretty extraordinary fashion this year, I mean, against uh, Bayern. Um, the, I still can't believe De Ligt got that out of the line which was pretty cool to see. But, yeah, I mean, there's not much to league on. No, so actually we're going to spend some time on a league that we don't really talk about a lot. I mean, we've been talking about it a little bit recently, and that's because of one player in particular. But the whole league in general is just very, very entertaining. That's the Eredivisie, which I think now is the sixth most competitive league in UEFA. Yeah, so they get one more extra Champions League up there. berth, which is nice to see. But this past week in the Eredivisie, I mean, there was two marquee games, uh, PSV. They beat Ajax pretty emphatically, honestly, 3-0, and that's to jump them in the table to go to second place, which is absolutely amazing. Ajax, obviously, they lost a ton of players last season. They lost their head coach. They haven't had the best season, but still they're contending. (laughs) They're still contending with, you know, some of the best that uh, the Netherlands have to offer, but PSV, in my opinion, do, like I said, just emphatic um, three goals, thanks to Shabby Simmons, who's been absolutely electric ever since joining. He's been on fire, bro. I mean, he's the top goal scorer right now in Mm -hmm. the VC with, what, 15 goals? And, and, bro, it, it was a massive stroke for him to leave PSG. Uh, was it on a permanent deal or, or a loan? I think it's loan with option to buy. But come on, who's going to trigger that? I mean, Dude. yeah, him, he got two goals. Luke de Young got the other ex-Bayern, or excuse me, Barca <laughs> clutch player. So I definitely miss him during these troubling times. Um, but honestly, I think the biggest nail in the coffin for me was Noetzen Alvarez, who is right there on the wall. But uh, he was not in defense. He's been playing center back a lot recently for Ajax, which I think is very interesting. They play him on that right side next to Jorge Sanchez. And honestly, Jorge Sanchez, who hasn't had the most impressive start to life at the Eredivisie, ever since Edson came back to that back four instead of the defensive midfield position, it's they've been two different, completely different players. They've been scoring, feeding off of each other, yeah. which is good, which is rare for defenders, right? But It really is rare. Um, but it just shows you the quality Edson has. You know, he's very versatile, too. Because he can definitely go up. He can. He showed that attacking prowess, but he also has that defensive awareness very solidified. And and he's connecting really well with Jorge Sanchez, yeah. which hopefully he, he grows to be better. He, he improves. Uh, but, yeah, it is his first season. But like you said, hopefully he just continues going from there. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you said it perfectly there. Um, so that's the other game, or that was one of the games that was the marquee games in the Eredivisie this past weekend. The other one, um, Feyenoord, now because of that PSV win over Ajax, they go eight points above second place, which is PSV. Um, yeah, they also, they won their game 3-1 to extend their lead to an eight-points win now. Uh, that's again, ahead of PSV, 11 ahead of Ajax, which is in third, which is very impressive. Yeah. But I think the one player in the one narrative that we've been talking about all season long for Feyenoord is uh, Mexico's own Santiago Jimenez. Yes, Le Bote. What a player, man. Yet again, I mean, I think it's worth we mentioned on the live stream because 
what a season this guy's been having. I mean, he scored yet again. That brings his league tally to 12 for the season. That's just in league play alone. He's got 20 goals and three assists in all competitions, averaging 3.96 shots a game. He's And the best part about this, he's not overperforming or underperforming his XG. He's hitting the mark, which is really impressive to see because obviously when players have a really impressive season, they're overperforming their XG. But Santiago, he's right there. So that's really nice to see. He's really consistent. consistent. Yeah, exactly. Very consistent, you know, just... Which and uh, nice. really um, crucial because I think Feyenoord, they have not won the Eredivisie title since 2016-17. And Santi, I think, is going to be very pivotal to bringing that back to Rotterdam. Yeah, most definitely. I mean, I think the only the only downside to, to Santi's season was that loss against Roma in the Europa League and how he got, he got a red card off of that. But he's just been doing really, really good stuff. He's very young, 23. I mean, he just epitomizes what we want to see in Mexican football where they go out to these leagues and, and they and they go out and show what they got. Uh, and he's been really improving. So, st- again, still very young player, some stuff to work on, obviously, but he's going there, man, yeah, which we love get, it. Getting better every day. Yep. All right, so now let's go to the other top five leagues to round it up, which is La Liga. Um, obviously, Barca, I think their, I would say, mediocre run continues. They've obviously, they beat Atletico over the weekend, which was very impressive and unexpected in my opinion. But then after that, they go and lose 2-1 to Rayo Vallecano. <laughs> Dude, which... right? don't, don't sleep on Rayo Vallecano, bro. They've actually, I mean, they're not doing that well, but they're doing better than a lot of people expected. Yeah. I mean, some positives. Uh, Pedri, De Young are back. Lewandowski finally scored after not scoring in four games. Um, negatives, they still look very, very flat. Um, lacking fluidity up top, especially. And they're just not putting away clear-cut chances. I think Lewandowski in that Atletico game specifically had two clear-cut chances, but... Just couldn't put the ball in the back of the net, and did only that, did that finish one nil. One nil. One nil. Because I remember I saw what I, it was one nil at one point, but I can't believe they if they finished that. Because yeah, yeah, I saw some of the highlights, and Lewandowski did have chances. Like oh yeah, clear cut chances, man. I mean, he hasn't been scoring as much as a lot of people would have thought. You know, for yeah. for a league like that, surrounded by the players he has, and just the quality of striker he is in Barca. That's true. So. I mean, the only really positive you can take from these results is, you know, Real Madrid, they've also failed to beat Girona this past midweekend. Bro, Tati Castellanos, a player that I think a lot of North American players or fans would really like, uh, formerly NYCFC player, former MLS top goal scorer, former MLS MVP, scored four goals past European champions Real Madrid. What a game. Yeah, uh, I still haven't, I haven't had a chance to see the goals, but that's very impressive. I mean... The last player I can actually think of of scoring four goals against uh, Real Madrid is Lewandowski uh, back in that UCL clash. Um, and for this guy to do it, uh, was Real Madrid a home or away? They were away. They were away. So, I mean, that just goes to show how Real Madrid can't really travel because I think that's what happened too at the Signal Duna Park w- with Lewandowski. It was a four there. But I want to talk a little bit about, about Vinny's, Vinny's celebration. When he scored the one goal, he like scrubbed off the the world champion logo there, and that just goes to show, you know, don't 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 celebrate too early, guys, because four two was the end result, and he just made a fool of himself there. But don't take anything away from Tati Castellanos' ace. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Barca, they're still eleven points ahead of Real Madrid in second, and honestly, Real Madrid are now only two points ahead of Atletico in third. So maybe that's the real race that we can look out for unless Barca keep on dropping results and points like they have been doing, and it doesn't get any easier as they play Real Betis this upcoming weekend. 
Real Madrid, they host Almeria, and Atletico Madrid, they travel away to Valladolid. So it's going to be a very interesting week in La Liga. But I think we can kind of wrap up the top five European leagues there. And now we can go ahead to European's Premier, the competi- Premier Competition, which is the Champions League. So really, we talked about the Milan Derby earlier. Um, before we get to that, I think we should talk about the other semifinal clash, which is just set to take place. I mean, you can label it as City are looking for revenge against Real Madrid. <laughs> yeah. But I did some research, man, and they're pretty even. I mean, yes, they lost in that uh, tremendous fashion last year in that comeback. But, I mean, I think it's pretty much tied. Uh, the series is tied in the Champions League. They each have three wins. They each have two draws. But City, I mean, yeah, last year uh, knocked out in the... Semifinals, 2019-20, City beat Madrid in the round of 16. That was right before the pandemic hit, too. (laughs) So they would go on to lose to Lyon in the next round, which was just a one-off game. Hmm. And then you want to go back even a little bit further, 2015-16, City also lost to Madrid in the semifinals, and that was the final year before Pep came in. So, yeah, it's really been a very even history so far. Yeah, most definitely. And, And, again, I think Real Madrid is the other team that's in City's way for stopping that trouble. So I'm really excited for that game because, as we all know, Real Madrid is just a different team when it comes to the Champions League. Um, the It's still so, so confusing as to how they lose against, you know, in La Liga against Villarreal, against uh, Girona. But coming into the Champions League, they, they show their quality. They show their class. So I'm very excited for that game, and I'm really hoping Madrid to, to go through, obviously. And then we go ahead to the other one, the Milan Derby, like we mentioned earlier. So much history, so much rich history between oh these two. Oh, my gosh, man, so much. I mean, we got both, I mean, we, like we said, both of them are coming in a very good stretch of form. And I think they've only faced each other, what, five times before this in the Champions League or four times. Uh, and so far, Milan's gotten the best out of Inter, you know, with the drawing two, I mean, sorry, with Inter, they've only drawn two, but they've lost the other. Uh, Milan going away. The most recent fixtures between them is the 2004-2005 uh, quarterfinal. Uh, and I don't know if you've seen that picture of Rui Costa and Madarasi. Bro, who hasn't? Yeah. One of the most <laughs> iconic photos in football history. Very iconic, bro. But, uh, I mean, and even before that, you know, you have the 2002-2003 semifinals where Milan advanced. So a lot of history there. Obviously, it's Milan Derby, same stadium too. Uh, so it, it's a good thing they took away the away goals. Oh, yeah. Because that would have been really, really funny for Inter or Milan to go out on away goals. Oh, yeah. Even though it's their whole stadium, too. I mean, we talk about their rich history, like you just mentioned, but their most recent history, let's look at their results against each other this season. So this season, Inter beat Milan 3-0 in the Supercoppa final. Um, that was a while back. And then they also beat them in the Coppa Italia semifinals, and that's how they got to the final eventually. Um, but in league play, it's been very even. They've each... Uh, or they've... Hold on. But in the league, they are drawn at one apiece. My bad. Enter. They won one game. Milan, they won the other. So it's been very even so far. And obviously, these two teams haven't played each other in a while. So they're two different teams. Definitely going into this uh, semifinal clash. But yeah, a lot of history. And I think, honestly, this will be one of the fairy tale runs of the Champions League in a while. Yeah, most definitely. Uh, who are you rooting for, dog? I think I'm going to edge more towards Milan. I mean, we talk about Rafael Leal and how he's kind of carrying them. Olivier Giroud has been proven to be... Just he, he, he just like fine wine, you know. So yeah. I love to see him at this point in his career where he's at. But yeah, I mean, I don't want. I'd be okay with City winning because I love parody. They never won a Champions League. Um, Let's keep it that way. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I'd rather see them win it than um, Real Madrid. But I mean, yeah, I mean, 
I'd be okay with either one, honestly. No, yeah, I, I, I'm kind of rooting for AC at this point. Um, just because, I mean, they are the sleeping giant. They've been uh, out of this type of game for so long. They've been in the Champions League, but... But to reach the semifinals in the fashion that they did, let's keep in mind, they did go against uh, Napoli, which is the first place right now in their league, very convincingly so. They were able to beat them 1-0 uh, in the first leg and then were basically winning 1-0 up until the last minute where Na Napoli dry, uh, tied it up. So, And then even before that, in the actual league, they won 4-0, so very convincingly so. Um, I think AC has, uh, has the edge over Inter at this point. So I'm really hoping for them to, to win their eighth Champions League. And I think that segues us nicely into what we'd like to end the podcast with. I mean, for those of you that have been listening for a while, for those of you that haven't, we've kind of introduced this new segment where we close the show, which is our top 10 rankings. Basically, we rank the top 10 teams in Europe. Totally our opinion, because we know that a lot of teams that we put in our top 10 list, a lot of people won't, but we'd like to shed lights on um, some other smaller teams that maybe a lot of people don't pay attention to. So... Just to recap from last week's top 10 list, it looks a little bit something like this, although uh, we'll go from 10th to 1st. Yeah. Newcastle finished in 10th. Austin Villa on the tremendous run of form that they're on there in 9th. Atletico Madrid, we put them in 8th. AC Milan, 7th. I think we'll put them a bit higher this week. Um, followed yeah. by Manchester City, excuse me, Manchester United in 6th. Napoli 5th. Real no. Madrid 4th. City can stay in 6th. I'm fine with that. Arsenal 3rd. Manchester City 2nd. And I think to new listeners, what will surprise them a lot is the fact that we put Feyenoord in 1st. And obviously that only lasted one week, but the run of form that they're on is just tremendous. And you can't take away the results and their scoring abilities and the league that they compete in and the ability to compete in multiple fronts in Europe and the league. So yeah. it was a short-lived run, but it's better to be number one than to not be number one than to be ne never be number one at all. Yeah, dude. I mean, if Sol was here, he would definitely be gloating about the fact that he said about that curse. The 90 and 60 bot curse is definitely real now. Uh, Feyenoord did lose their Europa League game after we put them in num the number one spot. But, but yeah, we'll see where we put them uh, this week. You want to you get started? Yeah, let's get started. So, obviously, I mean, should we start with first or 10th? <laughs> uh, let's I'd... work our way up, no? Yeah, so you want to start with first? No, we'll work our way up. So, starting from 10. 10th, all right. Yeah. Um, well... Do you think Newcastle deserves to stay there? I think so. <laughs> Actually, I kind of I kind of say Atletico Madrid should drop down. I would say uh, Aston Villa and Newcastle both go up one. So who would you put in 10th if that's vacant? I mean, I guess Barca can come back in because they did beat Atletico one now. That is true. I mean... So you put Barca in 10th and just move those two teams up? Yeah, I mean, that would be... I mean, Aston Villa, they played they play today? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they, I think they won. No, they won like 2-0. All right. So, yeah, we can definitely do that. Um, so we put Barca 10th, Villa 9th. Um, excuse me, Newcastle 9th, Villa 8th. You're writing this down, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm writing it down. All right, cool. I mean, Atletico Madrid, I think so if we put Barca in, I mean, we can theoretically kind of move them out because... Obviously, they did lose to Barcelona, but I mean, that's no, there's no shame in losing to Barcelona. And then I did believe there's they won. There's a lot won. of shame losing to this Barcelona. Stop that lying. is true. And then Stop they lying. did beat Mallorca 3-1 just yesterday. Who, Atletico? Yeah. Yeah. See, shame. Shameful. Frauds of the week. So would you put them in, would you also move them up to 8th or, or 7th? Who? Atletico. No, they're out. Oh, they're out? Yeah, they're, to me, they're All out. Right, I'm cool with that. Because they lost <laughs> against Barca, bro. I'm cool with that. Um... 
And then what we got after that, we got... I mean, that's where we... <clears throat> AC Milan was at seventh, I think. Oh, they definitely deserve to be a lot higher in the list. Yeah, they definitely do. It's just a matter of who... Dang, we should have started from first. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was trying to tell you, dog. All right, do it, do it. Let's just start from first. All right, first, I think it's clear-cut and obvious. Man City go first. Yeah, Man City <laughs> should definitely go first. Um, hopefully the curse haunts them. Yeah, I mean, Feyenoord, I mean, RIP to them. They were in first for a while. Should we move them down to second? Do you think that's fair? Because honestly, after first and second, you have Arsenal who have bottled it. Real Madrid who have not been consistent. Napoli who has been all right. Would you say it's fair to just, you know, put them in second after losing to Roma? Yeah, I mean, out of all the others, they've... The the only downside they had was that Europa League exit, but in league they're still they're still getting the results. They're still going through, um, so I would definitely put them at second, no problem. Cool. And then uh, third we had Arsenal, but come on, they don't deserve to be there anymore after no, the week they had. No, they definitely don't. It's just uh, I mean, not even Real Madrid should be in that top four. I think that that's where we kind of put Milan in one of those Ooh. two spots, three or four. AC Milan, right? Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, AC and, and, and Inter. Inter should be on this list too, I think. But you think they deserve to you know, be not on the top 10 at all, just to jump straight to one of the top five spots? For Inter? Yeah. I mean, comparing to the run of form against Arsenal and Madrid, yeah. All right. Because keep in mind, I mean, well, I can't really Inter see anyone. is in the final now. What about, what about Napoli fourth and Inter fifth? AC Milan fifth, nah. No, no, no. AC Milan third, Napoli fourth, Inter Milan fifth. I can, yeah, I can yeah. do that. I can agree to that. I mean, that's kind of you know indicative in the table and on form in Serie A, especially in my opinion. So yeah, AC Milan third, Napoli who's still number one in Serie A, obviously, and then Inter in fifth, and then sixth. Last week we had United. I mean, you think it's fair to just kind of keep them there? We've kept them there for two weeks already. Yeah, they should stay there. I mean, because again. FA Cup, they went through, they played the whole game, went on penalties, and then today had a 2-0 league, they dropped it. So, yeah, they should just stay there. And then did we decide on seventh beforehand, or did we get that high? I don't think we did. Yeah, we did. We said Villa. Oh, Austin Villa. Yeah. Yeah, I can definitely see that. I mean, we'll see what their upcoming fixture is this weekend, and obviously if they continue that form, I think they deserve to be even higher. But, yeah, Austin Villa in seventh. Then you said 8th Newcastle, right? Or was it... Yeah, 8th Newcastle. No, wait. What the... Oh, wait. We didn't talk about 7th. 7th Villa. <laughs> oh, yeah, 7th Villa. 7th Villa, 8th Newcastle. I mean, they just kind of moved up a few spots from last week. Then I think you said you would brought in Barcelona. I mean... Barcelona does go back. You know who we haven't talked about in, in the top 10 for such a long time? Borussia. Borussia Dortmund? Yeah. Uh... Yeah, they were in our list for a long time. And then after the Classicer and after that loss to Chelsea in the Champions League, that's when we kind of kicked them out. Um, yeah, first in the Bundesliga now. I wouldn't disagree with that. I was going to mention Porto, who obviously Benfica Porto. was in our top 10 list for the longest time. But after they got knocked out of the Champions, started losing results in Liga Nos, which the first result they lost to was Porto. Yeah. But, I mean, I think Dortmund is the Bundesliga is a much stronger league than Liga Nos. So I would be okay with Barca ninth and... Dortmund tenth. Let's keep. No. Yeah, let's do that. All right. Well, dang, we uh, normally debate a lot more on this, but I guess when there's one less co-host, you know, there's a lot less to debate on. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, not. Yeah, I mean, it's clear cut. 
Yeah. So usually he's the one that's always fighting with us too. So <laughs> that's true. So uh, just to recap, I mean, pretty simple this week. Uh, going from 10th to 1st, we got Borussia Dortmund in 10th, Barcelona in 9th, Newcastle in 8th, Austin Villa in 7th. It's absolutely mental to say that, you know, Villa and Newcastle are doing better than Barcelona in Europe right now. But I think if you analyze statistics and form, Villa especially, I think ever since Unai Emery took uh, helm at Austin Villa, if you would have started the Premier League from then, they'd be in first place. So very, very impressive run of form. You can't underestimate that. Um, followed by United in 6th, Inter Milan in 5th, Monopoly in fourth, AC Milan in third, Feyenoord in second, and Manchester City, I think, will stay in first place for now. No Real Madrid, huh? It's too late. Yeah, now. we. It's, it's too, too late. late. Now. We definitely <laughs> took out Real Madrid. See, uh, I think that's why. That, hey, that, that was Castellanos so, ace, man. Yeah, they, that's <laughs> it, bro. They, they just, that was it. That was it. They got knocked out. They did. All right. Oh. Hey, man, that's pretty much how we wrap up the pod this week. Is there anything else you want to say before we sign off to our first ever live stream? No, nah, I mean, again, guys, thank you for joining us here. I mean, it's very special occasion for us here at 1960 Pod. little bittersweet because we didn't have, you know, Saul up in here, but we still got it through. Um, any last words from you? No, I just want to say thank you to everyone that's been along this journey with us. I mean, we always had kind of relatively a smaller audience, mainly consists of friends and family, but... Thank you to everyone that stuck around. We really appreciate it. Uh, once again, I want to clarify, this is for an assignment I have for MSU Denver. Uh, Christopher Jennings, this is my final. I hope I did well. Um, <laughs> yeah, Christopher Jennings, A-plus, please. I mean, I don't know you. I don't go to school, so A-plus either way. Yeah, and as always, guys, um, if you're not following our podcast on already, we're on many different platforms. Spotify and Apple Podcasts are the two main ones, so make sure you like and follow there. We also have a YouTube channel now. We'll be posting all of our podcasts on there. Um, follow us on Twitter at 90 and 60 Pod. And we also have a TikTok, some pretty cool videos up there, um, also at 90 and 60 pod. And as always, guys, thank you so much for listening or watching in this case for the first time. And hopefully we'll do this again soon, hopefully with the whole hopefully, crew in town. Yeah, yeah hopefully. And uh, as always, guys, thank you for watching. Adios.